0: As God's word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you.
1: Dear radio listeners, the fourth commandment of God's law regards keeping the Sabbath. Let us note how the day of rest was kept or observed in Jesus' day. The gospel accounts tell us that Jesus was in the synagogues regularly on the Sabbath, teaching. He also did many miracles of healing on the Sabbath. We do not read of him doing miracles of a different kind. A man with a withered hand in Luke 6, a lame man in John 5, a blind man in John 9, and a woman with an infirmity, Luke 13, were all healed on the Sabbath. When the Pharisees accused him of breaking the Sabbath for doing these things and for letting his disciples pick corn, he defended himself. By contrast, he accused the Pharisees of breaking the Sabbath. Outwardly, they kept the Sabbath religiously. They walked only a Sabbath day's journey. They did nothing considered work. And they ate and drank, even feasted on the Sabbath. It was, after all, a day of rest. But Jesus pointed out their inconsistency. If necessary, they would remove their animal from a pit into which it had fallen, and they would circumcise their male sons. Even more, Jesus accused them of not keeping the Sabbath in their heart, of not being concerned about mercy, and of not honoring Him as the Lord of the Sabbath. American society today thinks nothing of a Sabbath. Even many Christians view the Sabbath day as a day for themselves, not for God and others. At the same time, some are prone to act as if the keeping of the Sabbath is about rules, do this and don't do that. Let us go to school again today and learn about God's holy day, what it is, why it is, and how to observe it as he requires. The fourth commandment, as recorded in Exodus 20 verses 8-11, through 11, reads, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. One great principle of true Sabbath-keeping, Jesus taught the Jews after healing a woman who had an infirmity and could not stand up straight. We read in Luke 13, verses 14 through 16, And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound lo these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? From the fourth commandment we learn the necessity and urgency of observing God's holy day as a day of rest. The first lesson we need to learn is this, what really is the Sabbath? For Old Testament Israel, in the fourth commandment, God required them to set aside the seventh day of every week, that would be our Saturday, as a day of rest. The word Sabbath literally means rest. It involved putting aside their daily work so that they could rest in the body, not that they were to sleep or lounge around all day, but to put aside the work that had kept them busy for the first six days of the week. We are reminded in a society that goes on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that it is good to put aside our work for a day and rest. But God was not simply giving the Israelites a day for themselves. The Sabbath was a holy day. It was to be set apart for God. Bodily rest was not the real goal of the Sabbath. Rather, resting from work enabled them to have time to worship God. The wording of the fourth commandment hints at this, to keep it holy. Other laws required the priests to offer more sacrifices on the Sabbath than on other days. Later, in Israel's history, the Jews went to the synagogues on the Sabbath. So this is a key point. The Sabbath is God's day. Putting aside our work does not merely mean that we have a day to ourselves, but that we can devote the day to Him. This is how God kept the first Sabbath, as the reason for the fourth commandment makes clear. The very first week of creation... God worked for six days creating each creature, and on the seventh day he rested. The word rested here does not mean that God slept in, that God took it easy. It means that, having finished the work of creation, he received the praise and glory that the finished perfect work afforded him. Likewise, Jesus kept the Sabbath day. The main way in which he did so was to magnify God on this day. Now the point is not that on the other six days he did not serve God. He certainly did. He did the works of God. He obeyed the law. He taught the people. But especially on the Sabbath, he pointed to the great rest that he was providing us. For in addition to the earthly toil with which we are to busy ourselves six days but rest the seventh, We have a spiritual toil. We labor under the heavy burden of sin and guilt. God provided the Sabbath day as a day for Israel to turn to Him, to see that He had removed that burden from them. It is significant in this connection that the fourth commandment comes to Israel after she is delivered from Egypt, and the second giving of the law in Deuteronomy 5 refers to Israel being burdened in Egypt and God delivering her from Egypt as a reason for keeping this commandment. We toil under bondage to sin, but God has delivered us from that bondage in Jesus Christ. The Sabbath day is an opportunity to be taught again about that deliverance and a day to enjoy the benefits of that deliverance. So Jesus on the Sabbath day taught, but he didn't teach mathematics or agricultural studies. He taught about God, God's mercy, and God's grace to sinners. He expounded the scriptures which spoke of these truths. It was fitting then that he healed the sick, for the healing of the sick was a picture of his healing us from sin. And after teaching, he didn't say, well... I kept the first part of the day for God, and now I can go harvest. Rather, when he plucked grain on the Sabbath, he was saying that the spiritual labors of the day left him in need of food, and he, in keeping the laws of the Old Testament, took his food from the rows of grain that were nearest the road. To sum up the first lesson we are learning regarding what the Sabbath day is, It is a day set apart for God, because God delivered us from sin in Jesus Christ. The second lesson of the day regards which day of the week must we observe the Sabbath on. The fourth commandment designated the seventh day of the week as the Israelites' Sabbath day. Soon after Jesus arose on the first day of the week, Christians began observing the first day, our Sunday, as a day of rest. For this, we have drawn the charge that we are breaking God's law. Let's respond to that charge. First, the charge underscores a point that which day is the Sabbath is not up to us to decide. Whether we have Tuesday or Thursday off from work isn't the issue, but Tuesday is not a Sabbath and Thursday is not a Sabbath. God designates the Sabbath, and in the Old Testament, He designated the seventh day. But at the same time, the charge ignores that God Himself changed the day of the Sabbath from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week in the New Testament. Admittedly, He did not give us a revised Ten Commandments in so many words. No New Testament passage states that the first day of the week is now the day of rest. But we have the practice of the apostles, who were sent forth by Christ to spread the news about his death and resurrection, and the practice of the early New Testament church meeting on the first day of the week, Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 23, Revelation 1, verse 10 even the church's practice is not in itself determinative. In two ways, God directed the change of the Sabbath from the seventh day to the first. The first way is that our Lord Jesus Christ, who died as the Passover lamb, died the day after the Passover. And he who arose as the Lord of life arose the day after the Old Testament Sabbath. The second implicit sanction of God, of the first day as the Sabbath day, happened on Pentecost. The Old Testament feast of Pentecost took place on a Saturday, that is, a Sabbath day. The New Testament realization of that feast, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, took place, Acts 2 verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, that is, after the day was now ended we are observing a general rule that no human invented. The New Testament fulfillment of the Old Testament pictures consistently happened one day after the Old Testament picture. The transition of the Sabbath from the seventh to the first day of the week corresponds with this rule. Third, we must ask, what is God teaching us in changing the Sabbath from the last day of the week to the first? He is teaching us that he has made a significant advance in providing salvation for us, and that we can enjoy the day of rest in an even deeper sense. He is teaching us that the blood of Christ shed on the cross was complete atonement for sin, that the guilt of sin is completely removed. He is teaching us that the Spirit, poured out on Pentecost, sanctifies us and devotes us to God, such that he writes the law in our heart. Now, in the Old Testament, the sins of God's people were forgiven, and the people were regenerated and sanctified. Yet, they lived in a time of promise, in a day when they had only the pictures of what would happen when the promised Christ came. We live in the day of fulfillment. Therefore, we experience more deeply the joys of salvation. This change of day on which we observe the Sabbath underscores another point. In the Old Testament, the Israelite worked hard for six days and then enjoyed rest the seventh. In the New Testament, God has provided us a rest in Christ. We rest first. And in the strength we receive from that rest, we work the next six days. I don't mean just to speak merely of the six days of earthly work. But the point is even more that the entire life of the child of God, a life of sanctification, is no longer toil, but is joyful service to Jehovah because we have rest in Christ. We have a third lesson for the day. In this day of rest, God is still pointing us forward. Another rest, the rest of heaven. Awaits us. For although Christ has died and risen again, and although we have sweet friendship with God now, this friendship is still hindered and interrupted by our sin. And our daily life during the six days in which we are permitted to work can be toil, can take our mind off God, and can leave us needing a rest. God provides us that rest in heaven. When God's people go to heaven at death, and when Christ returns to bring the entire church there, we will toil no more. We will serve in heaven, in God's perfected kingdom, but the service will not be toil. It will not be hindered by sin. Our fellowship with God will be constant, continual, and delightful. And this means that there are two principles that are to guide us now in our daily life that goes above and beyond the question, which day is the Sabbath? The first principle is that we live our life as Christians already now in the hope of another day of rest coming. The second is that before that day comes, we live every day of our earthly life now beginning to enjoy that true heavenly rest. And that leads us to the fourth lesson that we take from this commandment. How is the fourth commandment pertinent for us today? What does it require of us? At the outset, we remember that it requires us to work. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. In a day and age in which society wants to work only to the minimal extent possible, in which recreation is the great goal of life, God's law requires us to work. That we work six days does not necessarily mean that we work on the payroll of our employer six days a week, or if self-employed, we serve the customer six days a week, but it means that we be engaged in productive activity in addition to whatever work we do to pay our bills, We have work to do in upkeeping our homes and cars. volunteer work for schools and churches and charitable organizations, this too is productive activity to be done during the week. Now admittedly, the putting aside of our work on the Sabbath day does not ignore the need for some who engage in works of necessity. It doesn't ignore that some, even children of God, may serve as doctors and nurses, as policemen and as first responders. If you find yourself engaged in such a work and therefore required to work on Sunday, it is your calling still to ask what else you can do to observe the day as a day of rest. For the fundamental way in which we keep the Sabbath as a day of rest is by worship, and worship involves going to church. This too is out of vogue in our day. Go to church? If I go to church, only if I don't have anything else that was going on or scheduled for that morning, and if I go once, I've done my limit, why would I go twice? So why does the child of God go to church regularly and often? The answer is because in church we fellowship with God most intimately. In a church in which the gospel is preached, we hear God declare to us that he sent Christ to the death of the cross to earn rest for us, that he caused Christ to rise from the dead to give us that rest. In church, we both hear that God provided rest, and we begin to enjoy that rest. Do you go to church on Sunday? If your church is more than one service, do you go to more than one? If you are the sort of person who says that physically you can never get enough rest, then why not say the same spiritually and go hear the gospel as often as you can? In addition to going to church on Sunday, Sunday is a day for family worship and private devotion to God. There comes a stage in the life of many families as the children get older when it is difficult to get the whole family together. This child has a sporting event. That child has a job after school. If we put aside our work and our recreation and hobbies, Sunday will be a time for the family to get together. That means that, when not in church, the father or head of the home can spend time leading the family in devotion to God, study of scripture, prayer, and singing. And each of us, individually, have time to do the same. In addition to that, Jesus' instruction and examples of healing remind us that works of mercy are appropriate for the Lord's day. Who in your church needs a visit? Are your parents elderly and infirm? Are there poor nearby to whom you can minister? When we put aside our work, Sunday gives us an opportunity to attend to these matters. Yes, in the process of keeping the Sabbath day, we will get hungry and we may prepare food. Perhaps while traveling to church, we will have a flat tire and need to change it or see somebody else by the side of the road who could use our assistance. We may attend to these things on Sunday, but that's not, first of all, what Sunday is about. Sunday is, first of all, about fellowship with God and other saints. Having examined the first four commandments, then, we come to the end of the first table of the law. The first four commandments have taught us how to love God. We are to acknowledge that He is the only God and live unto Him alone, We are to worship him as he commanded in his word. We are to use his name always with fear and reverence. And as a token that we are devoted to him entirely, we are to set aside one day a week to worship him and to serve fellow believers. These lessons we have learned in the school of God's law. Lessons that he particularly teaches sinners who know that we've been redeemed from sin's bondage by Christ's blood and resurrection, and who desire to know how better to serve Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, give us a high view of Thy holy day. Give us to refrain from that which is not fitting or proper for the day, but not to complain because the day is a boring day, rather to find delight in worship of Thee and in fellowship with other saints. So doing, give us to begin in this life to enjoy and experience the rest that we will perfectly enjoy in heaven. Forgive our sins and bless us for Jesus'
0: sake. Amen. The Gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, the Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.